Hey, honey child, welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm Brandon. And I'm Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Yeah, because, as I always say, we don't know. Because a lot of spiritual shit doesn't make sense. No, it's really true. It doesn't. But then when you find something that resonates, it's like, oh, damn. Also, I think a lot of spiritual truths don't make sense intellectually or mentally. They make sense in your heart and in your spirit. So your brain or your ego or your monkey mind can only get you so far (laughs) on the path of spiritual inquiry. Yeah, so we are grateful that some of you are connecting to us in your heart and in your spirit. And that you don't mind that we don't always make sense. Yeah, Uh, we're doing our best, though, to touch y'all on some level and communicate with y'all and... uh, it's Did you nice say we're know. doing our best to touch everybody? I mean, you know what I mean. Okay. Like on an emotional, spiritual level. <laughs> okay, I'm not trying good. to, I ain't out there being like, let me hold you. <laughs> Though, you know what? For the right people, I would love to just give you a hug. You know what? Angel gives an amazing hug. So mm-hmm. if you get the opportunity, you should take it. All right. Y'all heard. <laughs> I got permission. Should we just like introduce ourselves real briefly? Like, what do we do and who yeah. are we in the world? Yeah, take it away. Okay. Uh, I'm Brandon Alter. I am a tarot reader and teacher. I'm an energy healer. I'm also a writer and an actor and a performer and a songstress, but not a seamstress. <laughs> and uh, and one half of uh, Noche's Doggy Dad. Yes. And I am Angel Lopez. I am a writer and a producer and an astrologer and uh, uh, the other half of Noche's Doggy Dad. And, you know, I'm just out here in these streets trying to help the people and make the world a better place. And these are some Scorpio streets right now. Uh, Yes, they definitely are. Scorpionic. Yeah, these Scorpionic streets. I thought we might just do like a real brief recap on what the fuck is Scorpio season and why does it matter? Yeah. Well, why does it matter, love? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Scorpio season is the, you know, essentially four weeks when the sun is in Scorpio. It is the the fall season. uh, And Scorpio is the sign that connects to sex and death and rebirth, which means transformation. It's also about the deepest possible waters. Scorpios can be very intense. They can be a little obsessive or compulsive. But I always think of a Scorpio as like a dog with a bone. And that's in a good way. It's like when you have the tenacity to see something through to the end. So I find that Scorpio season is a really great opportunity to actually put your money where your mouth is. And all of the transformations, the growth, the maturity that you've realized you need to step into this past year, this is your opportunity to actually be practicing that to put you know where the rubber meets the road so to speak yeah and it is really also an opportunity to connect with that shadow side of yourself i think that's why halloween and even more importantly dia de los muertos happens in scorpio season because on one hand you know halloween is an opportunity for everyone to sort of touch base with some shadow element of themselves and put it on as a costume and get out in the world and be like hey honey look at me Uh, And then there's, you know, the more traditional holiday, which is really then that connection to the underworld, you know, those who have uh, left us and moved on to the other side and connecting uh, with that piece of ourselves. And that really, like you said, is like the ultimate form of transformation 
uh, death. So really us connecting with that whole sense of death and rebirth and how that affects us on this human plane really sort of comes to light here in Scorpio season. And I like to remind people that death doesn't have to be scary. Death can be really gentle and that death is part of healing. You know, some things can only be healed through death. Consider that you have to like deadhead a rose bush at the end of the season if you want it to grow back the next spring. So what in you is ready for death so that the parts of you that are just like waiting patiently in the wings to be born have the space to emerge? Yeah. And let's all think about it, too. There's a heaviness in the air, particularly this Scorpio season. We have Venus retrograding uh, through Scorpio. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of crazy shit going on in the world right now. And I think we're all feeling a bit heavier than usual, especially with Election Day coming up. So, you know, with that uh, comes a lot of need to really sort of balance ourselves out through all this intensity with some true self-care, you know, taking some time for yourself to be patient with yourself. Trying not to drink too much because Scorpio is a water sign and it Mm -hmm. can definitely be swimming in the deep waters of whiskey. Yeah, exactly. So try and swim more in the deep waters of maybe just water. Or chamomile tea. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, a nice herbal blend. But, you know, really sort of taking the time to release emotionally even is so important here to have those little deaths each day to any sort of emotional transition you're going through you know uh, let those tears fall till there ain't no tears left to cry because then you can sorry i had to just make an ariana yeah thanks ariana i just think that song's so beautiful but uh you know really sort of letting yourself have that opportunity right now is so important to help us move through this process to come through a little cleaner yeah I'll just share real briefly that on Friday, I had a very Scorpio season day because I was finishing teaching uh, a family of mine that I teach yoga to. And uh, right around the corner was an estate sale. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go pop into the estate sale. So I'm walking through this house where clearly a woman has passed away. And like I'm looking through her things, which is like estate sales are so weird. It was just like a lot of death. Mm -hmm. And then my friend had told me that this shop called Hollywood Wigs on Hollywood Boulevard is going out of business. So they're having a huge sale on wigs. So then I went to the death of this business to Mm -hmm. see if there were any deals for wigs. And the deals were not that good. So I didn't get anything. (laughs) And then I went home to watch The Chilling Adventure of Sabrina which is all about the shadow and witchcraft and then I found out that you binge the fuck out and I binged the fuck out of it and then later that evening I found out that my uncle had passed away Mm -hmm. so I was like wow I was like this day has been full of death and transformation and shadow and it was a good day it wasn't I mean I'm I'm very upset about the loss of my uncle but he was sick for a long time and I think this really is a relief for him and his poor wife, my aunt, who was taking care of him for so long, and he just fought this battle for so long. But, you know, death, shadow, transformation, these things have a dark connotation because people are afraid of them. But you can have a really good time in Scorpio season when you own your power and you own your shadow, and it actually makes you feel stronger and tougher and more badass than you've ever given yourself permission to feel. Yeah, and if I can say just for myself, just like as my own little check-in, like I've been dealing very specifically with some Scorpio season, like sort of direct hits in my chart and in my world. And I'm really sort of recognizing this whole need to transform my past. Um, I mean, I'm working even on like a 
past lives level, uh, which, you know, is, I think, a whole sort of additional piece of it uh, that not everyone has to prescribe to. But, you know, it's been helpful for me. But even when you just look at, you know, sort of the past history of your own life, your own personal lineage of your family, your history, um, you know, this is an opportunity to look at those pieces of yourselves. And for me, it's really at looking at it from the place of what from my past do I need to transform in order to move forward into my future in a more powerful way and really trying to focus it to really understand how I want to make my mark on this world what I want to create in this world and the power that's within me to help translate that out to people um so I'm really sort of trying to release a lot of the old damage <laughs> that has been done or, or that I've placed even upon myself in some way or allowed myself to hold on to, um, but not only release it and let it go, but also continue to hold some of those pieces and transform them, you know, into medicine, as sometimes you say, um, and, but, uh, you know, as sort of tools to take on with me and, you know, use them uh, as powers for good. Would you be like a little more specific? Well, even on some level, I guess it's about how do I own my own creativity? How do I recognize that growing up, all I wanted was to be a creative writer, you know, and having placed so much pressure on myself to do that has paralyzed me from doing so. Mm. And I think on some level it's even been for me, not only connected to sort of my past of telling myself I wasn't able to achieve that. Um, it wasn't for me. It was only for people of a certain privilege of a certain, you know, place in the world. Uh, and hello, I'm in my, you know, I've, I'm over 40 now. So for me to still be grappling with that has also been part of the guilt in there of release it, Angel, get over it. But actually now looking at it from a place of I'm going to take all of that, you know, sort of past shame, grief around this and now use my own story and infuse it into my work. And that's the story. That's the, the power is what do I, Angel Lopez, have to bring to my own personal creativity that is then there for me to translate to others in hopes of connecting to them and having them recognize their own self through my own work and experience. And that's beautiful. And I think that's the value of letting your shadow be seen. Yeah. Because your shadow is a part of you, whether or not you acknowledge it. When you don't acknowledge it, it runs you unconsciously. Mm. When you bring it into the light, you can partner with it. Anyhow, well, we could go on and on forever talking about the shadow side. And I think we should just do, we've even had some questions about the shadow self. So I think we should just do a whole episode one time. on. Yeah, we we'll have to deep dive on, into the shadow side. Yeah, on the shadow. But we have such a beautiful spirit talk with our good friend, Justin Simeon, that we want to get to. But before we do, we've got a listener question that we've been wanting to answer for a couple of episodes now. And this seems like the perfect time to do it. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, we're going to open up the SG Mailbox. So 
we are loving getting listener questions so keep them coming this uh came through instagram i'm not going to try to pronounce the handle name but i did a little insta stalking and her name is lucy so this is pretty good at insta stalking (laughs) so this is a question from lucy it's actually two questions so the first question is how did you get to know the tarot so well i've been reading for myself for years but i can't seem to recall the meaning of the cards offhand like other readers do so the first thing i would say is like there ain't no shame in having your notes next to you Like, I always talk about your tarot reading as a conversation over the cards. So you don't need to put yourself on a pedestal, and you don't need to pretend like you have all the answers. And I would start just writing down a little journal of what cards you pull in a day and how those energies are coming through. That's a great way to really, like, get a firsthand knowledge of the cards. And then another thing you can do that's really simple is just start with one word. Just one word. Or for me, I've been, like, writing little phrases for a long time that kind of what what the cards mean to me like for example strength is you will be tested and you will be fine the four of cups is when your bag is overweight at the airport and you have to pay like little fun things that help you remember what the cards mean um so and don't give yourself a hard time about it if you have to like use a book or use your notes then that's where you are the most important thing is to continue to be delving into the cards and let the meanings unfold and listen the meanings change over time so yeah, and I would also just add, like, you're always a student. So even, you know, we who are readers, like, I, you know, I, I have been a tarot reader and I am a tarot reader, but, you know, I'm more so of an astrologer, but I still always see myself as a student of astrology and yeah. a student of tarot. If you're not learning, you're stagnating. Mm-hmm. And also, like, through teaching, for me, I learn so much more. My gay Yoda therapist says when you invoke the teacher, you become the student. So through teaching these classes, I'm only learning more. Preach. Um, all right. And then the other follow-up question, also about the tarot, she asks, do you ever think you've pulled the card the wrong way round? As in, do you think that a reversed card should have actually been pulled upright when looking at the general tone of the reading? So here's the deal with reversals. And a reversal is when you pull a card upside down. I don't think that changes the meaning of the card. Whether the card is right side up or upside down, the energy of the card is the same. I think a reversal is reading you. You are in some way reversed to receiving that energy. So how are we reversed to things? Sometimes it's resistance. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's anxiety. But sometimes we're reversed to things because we're addicted to them or we need them too badly or we're kind of desperate, right? Like if you're addicted to something, you would say like, oh, you're reversed in your relationship to that. So I think if a card comes in upside down, it's coming in upside down for a reason, just to kind of be a mirror and saying like, hey, something in you is reversed to receiving this all the way. But something you can do is you could pull another card and ask, how can I experience this energy direct? And then just see what that is. I don't think the cards are ever wrong. I wish they were sometimes, but I think if it's coming in reverse, it's because there's something in you that's reversed. Another thing a reversal can mean too sometimes is that it's just coming in in a way that you're not expecting it. Same energy, different costume. It's coming in the back door. It's coming in the window instead of coming in the front door. So I would just say have an open mind and open heart to a reversal. It's not a bad thing. It's not the opposite energy. And this is just my opinion. It's just showing that you are somehow reversed. For example, you know, I'll do a three card spread every morning. And if I pull all three cards upside down, I know that I'm just like a little shut down that day. I'm just like a little reverse to things. And I probably need to do a little bit of extra breath work or meditation just to get myself back in flow. So I would just acknowledge the message and try not to resist 
<laughs> the resistance of the reversal. Uh, so hopefully that helps you. And thank you so much, you guys. We love answering questions, so send in your questions. And now, without any further chit-chat, <laughs> <laughs> any further ramblings, we are just going to open up your ears and your heart to this beautiful conversation that we had with our good friend Justin Simeon. Yes, he is a writer, director, and producer. He is the creator of uh, both the film and now the Netflix series Dear White People, which if you haven't checked out on Netflix, please go do yourself a favor. Uh, and in both the film and... Uh, Part, uh, an episode of season two, you may see one of the spiritual gays uh, in it. As Spoiler well. alert, it's me. <laughs> so yeah, if you haven't checked those out, please do. But yeah, he is just a marvelous human being and a really spiritually grounded friend of ours. And uh, we're just so excited to share this talk. So as Brandon said, without further ado, here is this week's Spirit, Spirit Talk. Justin Simeon, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> welcome to the spirit room. You've been here before. I yes, have. I have. But we are so happy to have you here in this I capacity. Know. Welcome to the spiritual gaze. You yes. know what? It feels so good to be in the spiritual gaze. <laughs> Honey, you're part of the spiritual gaze. This yeah. is our like girl group. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, it's true. No, it's really yeah. true. We've this done a lot Destiny's of things. Child. What was our girl group called? It was called Mad Girls. Yes. yes and what was our single? Shade. Oh. Shade. Yeah, and people are going to think like, oh, they're like playing. No, we actually we made have a it. song. We, we wrote song. and recorded a demo. We yeah. may need to like make it like play it at the end of the song. Oh, yeah. It's a rough demo. Yeah, I, my vocals might have to be yeah. tuned yeah. a little bit. We should go back to it. Remember, I never finished writing my song Retrograde, which I oh. really wanted to finish. Yeah. That's true. Cause that had a really good hook. But we I finished writing have a lot of somewhere songs notes. There together. were there were musics. We went through there a were musics. Yeah. <laughs> there were several musics. And as our listeners know, some of the musics you created are our musical interludes on our show. Oh, that's right, Cloud yeah. Safari, yeah. right? Mm. Uh, yes, we've got the instrumental of Cloud Safari yes. and Heat Wave. Oh, oh, yes, melt your heart. I still listen to that. From time so to does time. Angel. He says, "I come on my work gym." Yeah, it's on my yeah, it pops on when I'm in the car. Like, uh -huh. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does need to be finished. Well, I'm working on a new one called Summer Forever. Ooh. Oh, my God. Yeah. If only. <laughs> if only, honey. I think I would want fall forever. I think that's well, my favorite season. she's I mean. kind of talking about climate change. Oh, so it's well, summer forever, and it's kind of subversive. She's so political. The lyric is, all you ever wanted were hot summer nights, and now you're going to get them for the rest of your life. Ugh. I know. That song makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got a great beat. Great. Oh, as right. long as it has a great beat, I'm in. Well, Brandonna Summer's EP will be here soon. Yeah. It'll happen. But <laughs> here we are again in the spirit room. And yes, you've been here before. I mean, this is also known as, to you, Brandon and Angel's house. Yeah, like your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, which you've been to many times. Um, but I wanted to just kind of kick it off because this, when we got into this room, you initially were like, oh yeah, this room definitely has like, I've been in this room before. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've had a lot of moments in this room. Yeah. And I feel like. You've given me, you've given me some great readings in this room. You've yes. given me some, some stoned readings in this room. <laughs> um, with, with like crystals, you mean. Yeah. Crystal <laughs> stones. Of course, that's what I mean. And, uh, and I had some personal moments myself in yeah. this room. 
Yeah, I recall there was some, like, I this believe because you were I one of Noche's dog sitters. Yes. At one point. Yes. You're one of his aunties. That's why he screams so loudly when I <laughs> come to the door. Yeah, but you, like, were here, I believe, one weekend with him and sort of, like, I remember I had some sort of good spiritual yeah that was pretty major is this the segue into telling that story tell us the story okay i will (laughs) (laughs) it's been so long yeah i mean this was like oh god 2013 this was 2013 Mm -hmm. uh somewhere in the summer um and dear white people we had launched a concept trailer the year before, early that year or something. Mm-hmm. But um, what I remember is being extremely broke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and being like, you know, like, gotta gotta figure out a way through to the, the food stamp line broke. And, um, you know, I was feeling really depressed about it because we had had such an amazing response to the Dear White People uh, teaser trailer, but we had not yet secured financing. Yeah. And... Um, not only that, I had really, I had really stepped out on faith. I left my job in order to, to pursue the movie full time. And we came really close to making it happen at a studio. And then they cut us or they, um, they dropped the project kind of unceremoniously. And, uh, also known as our best times, right? Uh, yeah. The best times. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I mean, yeah, I was really down in the dumps yeah. at that time. And, um, I, had just tried um, a form of Buddhism known as Nichiren Buddhism, like maybe a few weeks before I was dog sitting. And uh, Nichiren Buddhism, you know, is it's sort of <laughs> this is not the best way to describe it, but for the layman, it's like you know, it's the Tina Turner Buddhism. <laughs> it's the it's, <laughs> right. it's the Buddhism she practices. Nam Myoho. Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, where you chant those words. Uh, to what is called a gohonzon, which is a scroll that kind of represents your inner psyche. Um, I just really sparked to it. I, I really, it really resonated with me, the practice of vocalizing uh, what was normally a silent practice for me kind of changed the game. And, um, but I wasn't sure. I mean, it was like a religion. You know what I mean? Like religion is, it's double-edged, man. Cause yeah. it's like, I was raised Catholic and that was somewhat traumatizing uh, as it tends to be. And so even just the whole thought of religion. Yeah. Like an organized religion. And I right. had, you know, I was sort of like a lot of, I don't know, crunchy granola thinking hippies in LA. Like I went to Agape and I, you know, um, went to like events and stuff, but I never really fell in with a congregation. And yeah, the thing about this form of Buddhism is that it's centered around, um, I mean, there's different groups that practice it, but there's one in America called the SGI. It's a layman's group. And, um, you know, they really help facilitate the practice in America. And I was just very, I didn't know if I wanted all that, you know, like, did I just want to do this for a little while and change my meditation practice and try something? But, you know, do I want to commit to a whole religion? Yeah. Um, and so it was with all those questions in my heart, unbeknownst to the two of you, that mm-hmm. I ended up here, dog sitting for Noche, right. where lo and behold, <laughs> Brandon, who used to practice, like coincidentally, this exact same form of Buddhism, had um, the Gohanzen in your apartment and, and or your house. And this is like, you know, I didn't have one yet because I hadn't really committed to the practice. And I was mm-hmm. wondering, should I even keep doing it? And then all of a sudden I found myself like stuck in your house for like three weeks or however long you were gone <laughs> yeah. with a Gohanzen to practice with. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, let me give it a go. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I did that. I don't remember how long you guys were gone, but I did it the whole time you you were gone. And it was yeah, at least a week. Yeah, yeah. it was it a was week. Like a longer. Trip. Yeah, it was it was at least a week. Um, what I remember is that the Friday or Saturday before you guys came back, it was my last night at the apartment. And I remembered when I sat down in front of the Gohansen asking it, me, the universe, whatever, yeah. you know, is this something I should keep doing? Is this working for me? And then out of the blue, I got a text message from a woman named Cameron Washington, who's who I adored as one of my very Shout best friends and, and the one who really got me into Buddhism. She out of the blue texted me and said, hey, would you like to get your own Gohansen tomorrow? <laughs> And it was like one of those things where I was like, okay, there are still parts of me that are resisting this, but I just have to say yes. I mean, that's too wild. And yeah, I've been practicing, I've been practicing that form of Buddhism ever since. Um, This one in particular puts into practice, Nitra's Buddhism, puts into practice the idea that it's all just about you. Not not in a selfish way, but in a all of your obstacles, all of your problems, all the things that you're trying to overcome, all the things that you think are bringing you pain. At the end of the day, the only behavior you can really change is yours. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And, and ultimately, like... Keep chan- blaming my mom. Yeah. But, <laughs> but ultimately, chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo for me has has been a way to keep coming back to the real question, which is always, well, what are you going to do? Mm. So, I mean, that decision for you to leave the job and just pursue the passion, how was that experience (laughs) for you? (laughs) Uh, It was terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) It was terrifying. I mean, it felt like the right thing to do, and it felt scary in the right way in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I happened to find myself at a job with a lot of free time on my hands, I the trailer had just come out yeah, and I, I was, was able to I was take at that job. Yeah, <laughs> I was able to take meetings. And I was like, oh, I like not being at a desk all day and all the things that I could do to make this movie happen if I wasn't at this desk. You know what? Like it's it's paid me well enough to have a little bit of a savings. And, you know, maybe I can edit for some cash here and there. And so I'm going to freaking go for it. And, you know, that was probably the most sure i was was that moment yeah. i mean and <laughs> of let's, decision yeah and let's say you were i mean because i was there i had a for you know sort of like a front row seat to it mm-hmm. and i was just telling this story actually to someone i mean you went from a person sitting at a desk that no one knew to being on cnn yeah talking about it within weeks days yeah i mean i remember i felt like we were in like a movie yeah you know the phones were ringing and things were happening but you know for me it really started in 2011 Mm -hmm. because there was a moment when we had a table read for dear white people just uh, like you me and lee who was a producer on the project and lena uh and we um lena lena (laughs) way who's that International gay icon, Lena Wei, and good friend of ours. Interdimensional gay icon. (laughs) Interdimensional, honey. Um, But yeah, we had this table read, and I just was like, you know, it's funny. In this moment, I have to give gratitude to something that I very rarely give gratitude for, which is my depression. (laughs) Because I was so miserable in that job, in, in just being in a job of any kind. And it felt so good that table read 
you know, and I really saw what it could be for a fleeting moment in my head. And I really looked at myself in the mirror and I, I came up with the worst possible scenario. And I was like, do you still want it? And I was like, absolutely. And from that moment on, it was like, I, I, I said it aloud to you guys at the time. And I said it to myself by hook or by crook, mm-hmm. by any means necessary. I am moving from this station to that station, period. And I'm going to do it as soon as possible. And as soon as possible, maybe 40 years. Yeah. It may be four months. It may be five years. I don't know. But I got to do it because this sucks. <laughs> Not doing it sucks so bad that um, I got to take the leap. Now, the mistake that I made uh, with my depression, and, and I think with or without depression, anyone who leaves a nine-to-five is that, you know, I was under the assumption that, well, the job was causing all of my misery. And so (laughs) as soon as the job was gone and I was living my dream, I would be happy. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, (laughs) you know, it's really odd. You Coming up in a nine to five kind of world, I was reared that way. My mother always warned me to get a stable job and to get my savings together and do what I love at retirement. You know, that's how I was raised. And so... um, isn't that just like, doesn't that boggle the mind, that concept yeah. that you like spend your whole life putting aside your passion and then at retirement? Yes. Like in the last act of your life. Well, it comes from a different time, you know? I mean, it's sort of, we, we're lucky that we get to grow up in a life, in an age where we get to ask questions like, what do I want to do and who am I? Because, yeah. you know, before, really before my generation, in my family line anyway, nobody really had the ability to ask that question. <laughs> like, yeah. the questions were like, am I going to eat? And it's like, fight for survival. yeah, and am I going to live in the South without like being lynched or something, yeah. you know? And like, those were the questions. So... You know, my mom was was preparing me as best she could. But what I realized when I stepped out of the nine to five is that um, there were a lot of things within me that were still operating on nine to five. And, and those and that part of me didn't know what to do. And it was actually very debilitating mm-hmm. because there's no there's no alarm clock anymore and there's no reason to show up someplace anymore and there's no deadlines and there's no due dates and there's no um, external like you know pain if you don't get something done Mm -hmm. and so that requires all of those gaps that used to be other people telling me what to do all day I had to figure out how to tell myself what to do and that was actually almost it felt impossible at the beginning right to organize my life appropriately and and I felt so guilty and so lazy because I was sleeping and I was walking around and I was goofing off because I was like I don't know what to do with myself and I real and I was still quite depressed and I realized eventually but not not at the time but I realized looking back at it that what they say is true it really it's not the thing on the outside It wasn't the job making me unhappy, and it wasn't being stuck in a nine-to-five that was keeping me from my dream. My mind was stuck in a nine-to-five. Like, my spirit was there. My spirit was depressed. So, yeah, I attracted a scenario that reflected that. Mm -hmm. And, And I saw that so clearly after I left. Like, what of the job and what of that experience that I escaped finally more of it had to do with me than I ever realized mm-hmm. while I was in it. Um, and I had to confront all of those things. And, and, and I knew that on a spiritual level that that's why the movie hadn't happened for me yet. 
is that I hadn't confronted those things. And if the movie had happened somehow, I would still have those things to confront and it would be even worse. So, you know, um, that in the meantime thing where you're supposed to just sort of ride it out when you're mm -hmm. waiting for something to happen. Um, I took that very seriously at the time. I was like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in the nothing's happening phase, but like, I'm going to make use of it. I, I, there's obviously shit here I need to deal with. So let me deal with it. And, um, and I think that that's honestly, uh, that, th that's, that was the only Ford momentum I had. Right. So you gave yourself the space, even though you were still dealing with fear yeah. around paying your bills, probably. Oh, God. <laughs> paying my bills with the movie ever happened. Not just paying my bills. I mean, I was honestly, when the movie came through, when we got that call, you know, that Julie wanted to finance it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really close to having to move back to Houston. I, was I remember. Closer than I think most people realized. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, it, but I have to say, I would go to that freaking Gohansen and things would be different. And, and it was so, my practice was a little shaky at the t at the beginning of it. And I, I just saw it. The weeks where I chanted were different than the weeks when I didn't. Yeah. So you really sort of found your way toward grounding and spirituality for yourself in your practice. Yeah. And I, and I think at the time I was still thinking it was magic. I mean, the SGI gets a bit of a bad rap because the way they pull you in is they kind of, they tell you, you know, chant for whatever you want and you'll get it. Right. And so, and that's not untrue, but it's not quite that simple. But they say that because what happens is you can start chanting for a thing that you want. And then through the chanting, you don't want it anymore. Or you see what it's really about. And you see what you really, like it shifts as you chant. And um, in the beginning, I was still like, it's magic. I chant for something and things happen. And they did happen. <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't until I started chanting that the movie came through and that I got a boyfriend and like I could pay my man. rent. Yeah, like the things that I put in my little jar that I was asking God for, you know, for years and years and years, mm -hmm. that all happened when I started chanting. But here's the, here's the rub. Here's the tea. You know, on the other side of that, I was, I was more miserable than ever. Right. And it was harder to get out of bed than ever. And, it, I mean, I knew it, like I was saying before, you know, how debilitating it felt when, I, when the whole world told me I should feel free when I left my job. It was clear to me then that it, the more of it was about me than I was willing to accept after the movie happened and we went to Sundance and we had success and we had all that stuff and we came back, then I was sure it was me. It was right. all me. A hundred percent me. It. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I, it wasn't until I had everything that I wanted that I realized, Oh, none of those things were the key to being happy mm. and being grounded and being, and feeling joy when I worked and not feeling stress. I mean, even working on the film, Dear White People, I can't say was a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. I was terrified every single day that this thing would fall apart. And then I was terrified that it wouldn't work. And then I was terrified that it wouldn't get into Sundance. And then I was terrified that it wouldn't sell. And then I was terrified that it wouldn't open. And then I would, you know what I mean? It was just like terror after terror after terror. And it took me a long time to figure out how to work without that terror being the thing at my back. Yeah, because that was the story you would like, and you couldn't get out of. You were that yeah. was the narrative. Yeah, which I would imagine too, on some levels, is probably extends back even beyond the work. And of course. Yeah, like it. It's as you were saying, the lineage mm -hmm. of terror. Yes, <laughs> is greater than you. Much greater. So all of that 
you're bringing with you without potentially even realizing without having a freaking clue exactly (laughs) i mean i was such a baby um spiritually speaking but didn't know it and didn't understand why it wasn't my time yet and looking back at it i'm like thank god it wasn't my time it wasn't my time because i'm a spiritual seeker do you know what i'm saying and like i don't know man however you want to put it you can put it that way but the way i feel like putting it now is that it felt like the universe knew i needed more time because it knew that if i had gotten success any sooner i wouldn't have been prepared for it and I wouldn't have had a chance to catch up. And that's real. And I couldn't feel that at the time. But whenever I meet people who are just like in that space of like, fuck, why isn't it happening? Whatever it is, you know, I, I feel I remember it so well. And you cannot imagine, you can't imagine anything but this idea that not getting to this precipice is why I'm not happy. You can't imagine anything else. And then when you're on the other side of it, it's like, oh, well, duh. (laughs) I'm still a hot mess. (laughs) You know, um, I can pay my bills and get a massage and stuff. But, (laughs) you know, I can pay for my therapies, but uh, I'm still need them. I feel like a lot of people listening are probably nodding their heads and being like, yes, me. Like, I'm having this experience. And you talked about. In that meantime phase, mm-hmm. you were dealing with your shit. Yes. And I'm just curious, what were you, like, how were you dealing with it? What were you doing? What are tips or advice you would give to people that don't even know where to begin to work on themselves in this way? I opened up a journal and I wrote and I just did whatever came to mind as the next step. Mm-hmm. It was that it was that hooker by crook mentality that had gotten me to that stage in the first place. I had to apply it to my spiritual practice because the the things that I had already been doing had plateaued. I had meditated for years and that was lovely and it was lovely, but I was still stuck. And so, you know, um, in, in, in Buddhism, they call it a seeking spirit. And I just really saw it and I really chanted and I meditated and I read and I went through the fire and I called Lena and I called angel and you know what I mean? Like I just, I just, I just knew I had to do something, even even when I didn't always know what that was. And that would lead me to do things and try things that maybe seemed crazy to me the year before. Um, it was really through the chanting practice that I opened up for the first time ever to even sort of even possibly even think about even maybe considering that I needed some medication, that maybe my depression wasn't about anything in particular that I was even conscious of mm-hmm. even more. Maybe I'm a depressed person and whatever is happening is what the depression's about because that's for whatever reason where I'm at. And it's just like, I, I, and I got to all of those places just because I, I was open. I was like, I don't, I don't have an answer. So I'll take it from wherever I can get it. And I just, I, I did. When people said something to me, I listened. And when I got offered a book, I read it. And when, you know, some some weird email caught my attention, I followed that rabbit hole. And um, that's, you know, I'll say this, it, it what it looked like, because I can't really tell you what to do per se, but I'll tell you what it looked like. It looked like a lot of crying in the daytime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it looked like a lot of weird bad behavior that I didn't know why I did that, you know, but not, not to other people, but just like, you know, I was drinking a lot more oh, yeah. and I was, I don't know. I was just like, I just wasn't, 
I didn't feel like I was taking care of myself. And yeah. um, you weren't treating yourself. No, but what you were doing was really seeing your shadow. Yeah, and, and getting I, deeper into like your authenticity. Yeah, and I and I will say I leaned into it. I just did. I leaned into that darker part of me and got to know it. Got to know her. Yeah. <laughs> but that is that moment, that dark night of the soul. Like you have to sort of go in and face the shadow self. Yeah. In order to come out sort of refreshed and <laughs> absolutely more aware. You know. Yeah. Like that's the goal. And the funny thing about the medication is that I, because I, I just, I just sort of, and, and honestly, the new age stuff really can get you to this same place because you think, you know, yes, it's true that like everything that happens is a consequence of me and all that, that stuff is totally true. Um, but we aren't as in control as we like to think that we are. Mm -hmm. The truth is like even our own consciousness, we have no control. Like when our body says it's time to go to sleep, we go to sleep. When the universe says it's time to die, we die. We don't have any fucking control. And my consciousness is coming through a very particular brain that comes from a very particular, you know, DNA line and went through very particular circumstances. We're finding out now about a concept called epigenetics where right. Your, your actual trauma in your life literally goes into the genes of your children. Yeah. And so, of course, I had what was at the time called dysthymia, which is a low-grade depression. And, and it, it isn't sadness. It is an absence of feeling. It is a numbness. And the only feelings that can break through are sadness. So you feel the sadness, but you don't feel any joy or you feel nothing. Um, and and when, I felt, when I would feel nothing... I felt guilty because I knew I was supposed to be feeling something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when people would be like, oh my God, it's amazing. You got your movie made. How does it feel? And I'd be like, oh my God, it feels so great. Like it did Cry. not, I felt nothing. <laughs> I felt nothing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I felt nothing. And then I would cry because then I was like, why am I feeling nothing? You know? Um, and so. I had to come to terms. Yeah, I have something called dysthymia. I think I know why I have it. I, you know, but your brain is part freaking chemical. Okay, yeah. like we can go back and forth all we want, but at the end of the day, there is a law. You could put that brain under a microscope and and see things firing, and like there's a chemical process going on there. And for whatever reason, uh, the chemical bath with which my brain <laughs> sat in uh, was not geared towards experiencing joy. And I bet you that trait would have had my ancestors surviving in situations where others wouldn't. Mm. But in this particular day and age where I don't have to worry about survival, thank God, um, I get to step on my mom's shoulders and everything that she did and, and my family did. Um, so now I get now I have to deal with it before I pass it on, <laughs> you know, either through my work or to a child if I ever have one or to my cats, which are currently my children. Yeah, but you <laughs> won't is the thing. is like you're here to break that cycle. Yeah, like absolutely. You moved through what was fear and terror. Am moving through. Yeah, am yeah. moving through. And yeah. in shamanically, we would say like you're also healing backwards. Mm -hmm. like yes. By doing this, because you're connected to your lineage, yeah. you know? So when you do what couldn't be done before you you literally send healing all the way back i feel that and that's part of why it's so important i think for us to like have relation with our ancestors i absolutely yeah. feel that and i and i put you know this movie that we're making now bad hair um i named the characters after my family particularly you know the lead character's named after my mom who is very much still with us 
Um, but all of the women in the film are named after, a lot of them are named after ants that have passed. And um, I felt it. I felt them. I don't know what, I mean, everybody a part of the movie felt some witchy ass woo-woo going on. Yeah. There were so many coincidences that were just constantly happening to so many people who had a connection to the film. Um, and and I, it, it felt like it was, it was a way of them, the universe, whatever you want to call it, acknowledging that I had acknowledged yeah. them well, and what they had done. I believe me. and I've learned that our ancestors are literally around us all the time, mm. but that they don't have free will because they don't have a body. It's mm. like if you have a body, you have free will. So we just have to invite them in and mm. literally just say like ancestors work through me, work with me, you know? And as soon as you do that, it's like, you know, mm. like all sorts of things can happen. Yeah. But I remember seeing you a couple, you know, a couple weeks after, or no, it was, it was the night of the rap party. And I said, Justin, I said, this movie is shamanic as fuck. I said, you are shamanic as fuck. And you were like, yes, I am. <laughs> and I just want, I just was wondering, would you just talk about that in whatever way that makes sense to you? Wait, so which, which one was this for dear white people? No, this oh. was bad hair. The night of the rap party. Oh, the rap. Oh. We came over and I was like, oh. I was like this oh, movie yeah. is shamanic as fuck. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> and you are shamanic. And you're yes. like, yeah, girl, I'm shamanic as fuck. Yes, so, I am. Yes, <laughs> I would say you so. are. <laughs> well, because I, I engage in a spiritual practice at the core of everything that I do. And I, you know, and this isn't just the Buddhist tradition, because ultimately beneath any tradition is you. And, and that's what's here. That's what I'm building a relationship with. And, um... Everything about bad hair had had spirit all over it because I, first of all, I was making the movie from a place in my heart that I felt there's this corner of society that we we get all of our culture from and we get all of our fun from and we get all of our fried chicken and excitement and all this stuff from and we shit on them. And that's black women and they have to go through a lot of stuff. And um, I was fascinated by you know, this sort of just, you know, it's just, it's, it's obvious you're in America, you have to have European looks. It's, it's just, it's not even like a race thing anymore. And all of these things are based on just so many old weird assumptions from the past. And I thought it was so strange that these, that, you know, we put them in such a box. They had to look a certain way, act a certain way. You can't be too angry. You can't be too loud. Can't be too nice. Gotta be funny. It's just like we, 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 America puts black women through a lot. And so it was coming from that place, first of all. And then when I just, you know, I don't know, I think I was reading some David Lynch and really getting, getting the idea that like the best part of the movies I loved were kind of accidents and sort of, you know, not always premeditated thinking. It was people who were feeling it as well. You know, it's like what Quincy Jones says is like when he would record a uh, thriller and bad, like he left the studio door open a little bit to let God in. It's like you yeah. can't plan it too much, you know, mm -hmm. and I and, and I opened up to what the movie needed to be. And um, what came out was different than I thought. And I loved it. And I went especially when I started to name people after my family. I mean, it was like it was like I would be walking down the street and a scene would be so clear to me. I mean, in fact, I had this experience in New York. I'll tell you this experience. I, I forget why I was there, but I was walking down the street and there was a scene in the movie where Anna gets, Anna is the lead character of Bad Hair. She gets off of a bus and she's walking home. And it's like, uh, I mean, you'll see it eventually. I'm very proud of the shot. Um, <laughs> but she's basically walking by a row of homeless people and you just feel, you just fear for her safety in that moment for no particular reason. The horror of the movie has not started yet, but you just know that there's something vulnerable about this young black woman 
you know, walking independently in this world through the, the way the visual is, is set up. And I totally got that visual because I was walking through the streets of New York and it had just started to rain. And all of the homeless people on that particular street put bags over them. So it looked like they were actual dead body bags on the street. Mm. And it was such a striking image. And immediately it was like, oh, Oh, that's how I do that. That's how I. That's how I introduce Anna to the audience, and, and I and I I came back to I came back from that walk, um, you know, uh, where you know I think a lot of people would just be freaked out and scared and or or sad about the homeless. I don't know, but I somehow found inspiration in that weird moment, and I came back to my hotel room and saw that in the lobby was a Lorna Simpson painting. And the crazy thing about Lorna Simpson is I had just discovered her because of bad hair. She's an amazing black artist, and she does these beautiful uh, paintings where she'll cut out, like, a black face from, like, a 1950s jet magazine and, and, like, paint these beautiful, like, shapes coming out of her head, like hair. But it's, like, magic hair. Mm-hmm. And so I had just been collecting her privately. I'd never – no one had told me about her. I'd never saw her anywhere. I'd never seen a gallery show. I just started collecting her, like, in a Pinterest – private Pinterest board. And there's an original – like almost stamping the moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like as if like, if there was any doubt that this was, you're not supposed to put this in the movie, boom. Like this was intentional motherfucker, pay attention. And this movie has just, every step of the movie has had multiple moments like that. Um, and, it, and, it, and it is the first time I can say from start to finish, and I'm not finished, we're still working on it, but it was joyful making this film. Like we had our hard times, but it was like the first time really I got to practice my craft with full joy. Mm. And, you know, Angel, you're a big part of that because you helped facilitate me making this independently. Um, But I mean, if you don't know already, you'll, I mean, we'll talk about this again, I'm sure, but this movie was so transformative for me, period, in my life. This is not just about a movie I made. This is, it changed a lot of how I will make things in the future. Well, tell us a little bit about that. I'm curious. It just made me realize, like, it just it just clarified for me so much what I love and what I don't love about what I do and about how I want to do it and mm-hmm. what success to me looks like. Mm. And success to me doesn't look like 50 million things happening at one time because I had two things happening at one time and it, it was craziness. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I was doing the movie and the show at yeah. the same time. And, and it was a podcast. And a podcast. A and honestly, the podcast is the easiest thing, but you know, we were also, there was other stuff going on at other studios. I mean, there's always yeah. other projects. Yeah. Um, and, to, to remember and to know that I, I'm a filmmaker and I'm a storyteller because I, it brings me joy was something I had forgotten before this experience, forgotten in my heart and soul, like what it had felt like to play as a child and imagine mm-hmm. being a filmmaker. I never felt that actually doing it sure. <laughs> until this film. That's amazing. <laughs> and the show geared me up for that and all that, but it was really this film where I felt like I got to do that. You know what else is very shamanic about you? And I'll just say is <laughs> one of the core tenets of shamanism is just the idea that everything has a spirit. Mm-hmm. Like from the spirit of our heart to the spirit of this room to even the spirit of the shoes that you wear every day, but also the spirit of a business. Mm-hmm. And you've always honored the spirit of the story. Mm-hmm. You've, you've even said to me, like, story always comes first. Yes. And it's something almost outside of yourself. Yeah, I like, think it's the most pure way I can contribute. And that's so shamanic yeah. in, in one way is to say like this, the spirit of this story wants to come into this world through me mm-hmm. 
And so I have to do everything I can. And then you're helped along the way. You get those little moments like the painting. You know? Yeah. And it wants to come through you for a reason. Yes. Right. So you putting your stuff on it is great, but it's not yours. And exactly. Don't yeah. forget it's not yours. There's so many times when I'll do something that just feels good or feels right or whatever, and a critic will say, I'm referencing somebody that I've either not heard of or had never seen the work. And I mean, it's, a te- it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like that sort of, you know, collective unconsciousness. Like there's like a bank of ideas yeah. in there that yeah. we don't even know it sometimes when we're, we're all reaching in the same part of the pond, you know? Totally. Um, but that's what happens when you let a story tell itself. It fi- it's timing is, is, is oddly perfect. And it's um, what it's saying is, is geared up for the moment in, in ways that you probably couldn't have planned for. I mean, it really, it's a great process. Yeah, Elizabeth Gilbert sort of says as a writer, she says that, yeah, like you're just sort of the vessel for the yeah. idea. But also, yeah. she also says that if you don't bring that vision forwards, that spirit will leave you and find somebody else that will. You yeah. Know, can I tell you a story? Please. Mm-hmm. I, I once heard that Michael Jackson, jokingly or not, used to tell Prince that he um, he had to, <laughs> every time, every time he, he had a song in his head, he had to record it. Because he was afraid that if he didn't, God would give it to Prince instead. <laughs> and he probably was not wrong. <laughs> no, completely. He probably was not wrong. I might have even made that shit up, but I well, swear to God, that's something. That's an anecdote that I've I've heard. Amazing. And I would love to know if there are any Prince songs that Michael was like, "That was mine." Okay, like, <laughs> bitch, I almost recorded yeah, that in 1983. Let, yeah, like, what made him think that? Because there was one that made him go. You know, there was one like. Again. Motherfucker, I wrote Little Red Corvette oh <laughs> in I'll 1977 <laughs> for Off the Wall, and I left it off the record. Quincy didn't get it. <laughs> My bad. Uh, well, I am kind of curious now that you are at this place, uh-huh. you know, and it's beautiful to hear that you are at a place of this is joyful. Just to sort of loop this up looking back now at that young man there like what do you say to him from mm. you know this point oh man i just want him to give himself a fucking break yeah you know i spent i've i spent so much time worrying about how long it was taking or you know about feeling guilty cuz i didn't do it the way other people did it or you know just unnecessary not accepting life as it was. And and some of that is important because, you know, you don't evolve and you don't grow and you don't move forward unless there's a part of you that's a little itchy and a little in resistance to the moment that you're in. But I took it way too far. And I spent a lot of time worrying about things that were not worth worrying about, that never happened. You know what I mean? And scenarios that never, ever even fucking happened. And I was so worried about them. And um, I would tell, I would, I just, anybody, in a, you, I just, oh, just give yourself a fucking break. Like, it's okay. It's okay that you eat the way that you eat and the mm-hmm. way, you know, I get it. Like, there's always things that we want to change and places we want to be. But like, also, it is true that exactly how you are, where you are, what you are is okay. And like, you, both can be true, you know, and I, and I spent so much time not feeling okay for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. 
I know. Couldn't you? It is a little bit of like, for me, I sometimes I'm like, oh, like, how did I spend so much time obsessing about like how I looked? Yeah. When I then look at pictures and I was like, damn, I was fucking. Well, I mean, we've said this among ourselves all the time and it's so true. But like (laughs) the first time I thought I was getting fat in my 20s, I would murder you both to look like that. (laughs) 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 To go back there. It's crazy. How dare I? Like how how dare ourselves, right? Honey, how dare I (laughs) in a smedium? Ah. talk about i have a few more pounds to go i am so mad at myself but i'm also like but i also am grateful for the whole journey because now i have a totally different relationship with my body that's much healthier um even though i'm fatter (laughs) (laughs) um you know look damn good yeah and you've learned how to love yourself thank you outside of like external like people say like your body has to look like this in yeah order for you to love it yeah and i mean like, fuck that shit. good look being gay in los angeles but um yeah honey it's a rough road <laughs> yeah, yeah, los angeles so can we have this conversation briefly about yeah. being gay in los angeles being a black gay man a black person of color a queer gayman contemporary man being a black gay man who is in the public eye yeah how is that <laughs> for you? And is it something that you have to, because I know for myself, honestly, more than anything, because I, you know, I, I, I definitely just given the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am always thinking about the things that define me given the world we live in, mm-hmm. but I don't have to deal with a bunch of people paying attention to me the yeah. way that you do. Right. And I know you've, you know, taking time off from Twitter and do these things that are like self-care, essentially. But how have you been able to sort of walk through that experience? Because I imagine that being your most authentic self, which you do, I think, so well, Mm -hmm. being a public person, but that couldn't have been easy. No, it's not easy. (laughs) Yeah, how do you manage that? I mean, at the moment, you know, I don't know how I've been managing it, but at the at this particular moment, um, I talked about this on my podcast too. It really was like when we didn't get nominated for an Emmy for season two of Dear White People, which we totally deserved, but I campaigned so hard on social. And I just, you know, when it didn't happen, I was sad for a beat, but then I was kind of like, well, fuck it. Like, if that didn't work, well, then fuck the whole thing. And I don't know what happened. It's just something snapped in me where I just, it was so plain as day. It's like, mm-hmm. I've been treating this thing like it's real. You know, the public eye, that's not real. That's actually not real. What people think of me is not a physical entity. It does not, like, knock on my door and demand money. It does not provide clothing for me. It does not take from me. It has nothing to fucking do with me. I'm a director. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not ever, I don't ever aspire to be, you know, a pop star or, like, you know, famous. Do you know? No. <laughs> I'm I, just I mean, <laughs> listen, I, I, like, I like the fact that I'm a person of note. And I would even say that, like, with greater success, I, I, like, I'm comfortable with a level of quote-unquote fame because it helps you. It can help you. But fame is not good. It, it is not inherently good. In fact, I think it's inherently 
quite traumatic and it, it is something that you it's almost like fire it's like it's a natural thing that occurs and we need it and it happens and if you are famous you kind of can use that fame to do things and if you are generating fame for someone else like that's a kind of power too but you have to be really careful with it because it'll burn you it'll burn you up if you're not careful mm -hmm. and so I don't trust it one and I don't I really like I don't consider the persona on Instagram or Twitter a representation of me at all anymore. Right. I used to. I used to really care. And I used to treat it like it was real, but it's not. Even if you just look at the statistics of who's on it. It we we think like when people react to something on Twitter, people act as if the whole world has just had a conversation. It oh, didn't. Really? Yeah. Honey, Twitter is not doing well financially because people right. aren't on it, okay? Like, it's a smaller world than you think. So I just have to say, I have always, since the early Dear White People days, I've always called you the magician. I always <laughs> said Justin is the magician. He is, And I meant it like the magician, the card in the tarot. Yeah. And the magician is the creator. Mm. And you've talked so many times this whole conversation about even chanting, how it was important for you to vocalize. Yeah. And you talk about writing. When I said, what did you do? You said, I started writing. And that's mm. so magician energy. This idea yeah. that you, you claim and you manifest through your ability to speak things or write things into existence. Yes. Yeah. And I just wanted you to talk a little bit about your power as a magician to mm. manifest and how that intuitively comes to you. Yeah. I think, um, I think you're right. I think it's sort of when you feel stuck, you can always write something down. I mean, listen, there there are people out there who can't do it. But most of us listening to this, this is a technology that most people listening to this podcast are probably mastered. And you can so you can always actually get what's in your head and in your heart out. You can. And even if it starts, I mean, man, I would just feel so much better after I wrote something, even if it was just like a morning page or a journal entry or whatever, like just to get some the shit out of my head, I felt better. And I think that that's why it was so instinctive is like putting getting the idea out of my head always gave me more space and gave me an ability to do something with the idea, you know, and remember it. And I and and I think it just, you know, I think it started probably as a kid. I used to. um you know, before I understood what a filmmaker was and that that was something I could be, I thought I wanted to be a comic book artist because I didn't know I, di I didn't know how to say I want to be a visual storyteller. So I tried to draw comics and I really was not good at that, but I still did it because it just like it was some it was the thing I could do. We didn't have a camera. No one's going to buy me a camera. You know, like there was no tradition of film and theater in my family. So, OK, let me take this pencil and let me take this paper and let me do what I can do. OK, and it wasn't Cute. All right. And I made my mom read some of them and she pretended to. OK, <laughs> wow, the, the writing was illegible. Um, <laughs> okay. like, but, but even then, like, I didn't think I wanted to be a writer, but I wanted to be a filmmaker. And so I started writing for myself. It's like, you're, yeah, you're right. It is part of my thing because, yeah, I'm a writer because I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I knew that no one else was going to write the kind of things I wanted to make. And the other thing about the magician is and I always say when somebody pulls the magician because magician in most decks have all four of the suits. Mm -hmm. I say, you have everything you need right now to create what it is you want to create. If you had any more, you maybe would not be able to create it. Mm. And that's what you talked about earlier too. Yeah. This idea that like the scarcity or the lack was actually what propelled you forward. Absolutely. Like if you had had any more confidence or any more whatever, you would not have you would not have gotten there. I wouldn't have walked the road. That, was, that was right for me. And that's how magic happens. Magic yeah. happens... I don't want to say out of desperation, but out of that 
need that yeah. deep hunger. It was it became a mantra on the set of Bad Hair. Like let's turn the bugs into features because mm-hmm. we were we were going so quickly because I wanted to fit it before my next season of Dear White People and um you know, and so there just wasn't enough time to work out some of the kinks. And I just kept saying it because it was like, you know, I, I was reading, okay, this is a really good, this is a very spiritual book, even though it is not, and it's not intended to be, but it is, if you're a creator. It's uh, it's 2001, uh, Making of a Space Odyssey by Michael Benson. It it's recently came out. Rick got it for me for my birthday, Rick, my boyfriend. And um, it catalogs through letters and correspondence and interviews, the making of 2001, A Space Odyssey, uh, which is really the relationship between Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick. And it's shady and it's hilarious and it's a fantastic journey. But what you realize is that this, the not this, the great American auteur, Stanley Kubrick, the way he did his work was to pivot when it was time to pivot, hold when it was time to hold, push your team when it's time to push your team. You know, like so many of the brilliant moments in 2001 came out of him telling somebody else that they could do their job better. It wasn't this auteur dictating every single frame and executing it perfectly from his vision. No, it was him in the trenches with his sleeves rolled up Telling people you got to keep solving that problem because it's not solved to my satisfaction yet, or or saying you know you know what we can't make a giant pyramid out of uh, out of glass, so I guess we'll make it this sort of like rectangle and paint it black. I mean, like so many moments from that movie that are absolutely indelible and so absolutely perfect came because he just knew when to pivot. <laughs> like he just knew when to be like, okay, well this technology doesn't exist, so it's this now. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like. And I'm not, listen, he pushed his team really hard, okay? There's a whole section about how one of the designers had to make a functioning, like, lactating breast for one of, like, the monkey people. It's a, it's a great book, I'm telling you. Wow. You won't be able to yeah, put it yeah. down. But, and didn't use it in the film. But he, you know, I, he's my shaman. Hmm. Like, you talk about, you know, uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, Spontaneous Fulfillment of Desire, Deepak Chopra book. It was the book that got me started meditating right after New Earth. Mm. And in it, he talks about the archetypes. And the magician was one of those archetypes that I always felt attracted to. And I believe there's a part in the book about identifying those archetypes. Like, it's why you're drawn to certain celebrities or prominent people, because they, um, they sort of are that archetype for you. And that's what Kubrick was to me. Um, something else that we had you know, been talking about and always... Uh point out with you is that you are a Pisces moon. Mm. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, particularly in the 12th house. Um, and the 12th house is the Pisces house. Yes. It's mm. the house of mystery mm. of the invisible world. It's the house of spirit. It's the house of the unconscious. Mm. Yeah. Connecting on um, some level to that collective mm-hmm. unconscious. So a 12th house Pisces moon means you are psychic as fuck. Wow. Well, um, I've certainly had some experience in my life, you know. I remember my uncle, my uncle Curly, um, I had a dream that he was walking around and his his leg got stuck in this box with teeth. Oh my and God. I remember like a week later hearing, yeah, that he had had an accident on the job and his, his leg got caught in some kind of grinding machine. Oh, my God. Um, I kind of always had it in my... I knew when certain people were, were not going to pass, mm-hmm. when everyone thought they would, and vice versa. Um, yeah, I've had my moments for sure. And I've certainly, once, I start, once, I've, once I've allowed for a process of not being in my head all the time to be a part of my writing, things come that are weirdly prescient. 
<laughs> I can't help it. You know, stuff like that I'll put in Dear White People literally will just start to happen and it's very bizarre when that happens. But we're all we're also like, you know, Dear White People is a satire, so we're trying to get at the truth without doing it exactly as it happens and we end up predicting things. Mm. Um but that's a part of it too, you know. I think you, it's about being open. Yeah, and it is a real connection to sort of like the other realm yeah in a way and it's interesting it actually really does rule like your connection to your dream life Mm -hmm. and sort of like honoring messages and connections yeah that you get from or almost on some level the other side yeah your dreams so that's like really interesting could potentially be something really cool for you to do is sort of sure keep tabs on dreams that stuff really used to scare me and freak me out it still does to be of honest course. no i get it. it it does and and because there's you don't have control in that realm in that space no that's the thing about it and you don't know what's gonna come you know it could scare the shit out of you <laughs> you could get some idea or some revelation that you're not ready you, you can't accept you know and but but being open to that has made me such a better writer like the big speech that sam gives to ricky at the end of season two that was all like that just came to me. I have no idea where that fucking came from. I wrote that. Sp- it's it's the speech at the end of season mm-hmm. two when Ricky is basically telling Sam, like basically telling Sam that like it doesn't matter what your ideas are. You're just you're working. Ho- you're doing all of this so that you can become a personality, and that's a business, honey. And that that ain't got nothing to do with changing the world. And I don't. I didn't even know who was saying that to whom. Yeah when I wrote it, but it just came out and it was great the next day. And I was like, okay, well clearly I need to do something around this. Cause yeah, this feels, this feels important, <laughs> you know? And it was a great moment in that season, I think. Um, and I kind of just wanted to follow that path too, of sort of like the connections to the other world. And we were talking about sort of lineage even earlier. And um, I sort of mentioned to you that I was just curious to bring this up and get oh, a little yeah. personal with you. But yeah, yeah. You know, I know that your father <coughs> passed when you were young. Yeah. And I am curious because you are shamanic as fuck and all of these, <laughs> you do sort of, ha- you do honor the spirit of everything. I'm just curious, like, do you have a relationship with the spirit of him? Can no. I, no? And I never have. And and it, And I remember thinking as a boy, like, What's up with that? Because mm-hmm. even when my grandmother passed, I felt something there. Um, but my my dad's death was a very particular circumstance. Okay, like uh, there was another family. I was the side family, and uh, not to put all the business out there in the street, everybody. But you know, there was um, other children, grown children, and he was married to another woman, and um, and so I. I can't, I was sort of brought up in this world where my father wasn't really attached to me. And when he died, I didn't even go to his funeral and never saw the kids again. You know, I just got some information of one of my brothers and I'm like, I'm going through the emotional and spiritual process of beginning to write to him. But um, at the time it was a coping mechanism to just sort of, push it aside as an adult i'm realizing oh i have like an arm missing and a leg missing and half of my heart missing and you really do it really does matter where you come from. like knowing that stuff 
does matter. I mean, you know, it's that inescapable, it's that story you hear all the time about the person who was adopted but didn't know that they were adopted, but they always felt something was missing. And then they, you know what I mean? Like, it's that thing. It's like, there's a part of my spirit that wants to reach for something that I don't have a connection to. And it's only recently become extremely important for me to make contact with that because um, I, I felt like my dad came to me in a dream when I was little right after he died, but I, I, I don't really, I talk to him all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's because I don't know what to think about when I think about him because he, he, he died when I was so young. Um, but yeah, I, I don't feel an answer come back the way I do when I talk to a close friend that died or an aunt Right. Sure. I, and and again, I don't know. That doesn't I, that that could mean anything. But it's I I don't feel it. Yeah. And I think it's a I, you know what's funny when I really knew something was up with my meditation practice. I remember this. I was meditating quite peacefully in that Koreatown apartment, and I just started sobbing, and I, and I couldn't stop sobbing. And I kept going, why the fuck am I, what is going on? I can't, I don't know what this is about. And I just kept staying with the feeling until I could figure out what it was about. And it was about him. Mm. And it was, it was, you know, his death was so much bigger than my little six-year-old body could handle. And so it didn't deal with it. And it just put it away. And as an adult, I'm, I'm slowly finding those fragments of that person that I had to suppress to deal with his death. Totally. And piecing that part of me back together. And it comes in, in fits and spurts, man. And I can't wait to discover who I am in that process. Yeah. And I would just say, too, in my understanding, like, death doesn't change who you are. It really just changes where you are in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not about you. It's like, if your father wasn't fully available in life, then it would make sense that he isn't fully available in death until there's like mm-hmm. serious healing that happens for the spirits yeah. of the dead on the other side. And also, I may not have, I may not be ready. You know what I mean? Like, there's parts of me that have kept things away from me, my conscious mind. You know, physically, your adult brain grows over your child brain. What? I don't know if you, people know this, but so there's a whole, there is literally, when they talk about your subconscious being related to your child self, like that is a physical process. Like your as child well. brain is literally It's literally, it can only express through the subconscious. And wow. so, I can't really comprehend that. I can't yeah, I know. It. It's a lot. But it's like, but you know, but the, but the point of that is to say there are things that, I mean, this is a common story. Your child brain just blocks off access to. Because you're not ready for it emotionally. Right. And you have to really do a lot to open that up. And and I just think that that's where I'm at right now. And I and I and I think that's okay. And but I it, it is it's kind of exciting because I, I was on Ancestry, you know, and, and mm-hmm. slowly piecing together my family tree over the years and a picture came through and it was a great, great it was like a great great grandfather on my dad's side. And I, it was a picture of him, and it was 1860. He must have just been freed, you know, or um, or he was a prominent black person, as prominent as one could get, because he could get a photograph taken. And you can tell that in those photographs, they they like sort of put a mat on, so it looked like he was wearing a suit. I'm assuming because people couldn't afford suits like that. Mm. Um, but guys, this picture from 1860. It's fucking me. Whoa! And it it was it sh- it sent a shiver oh, up my spirit. Like mm. it was like it was like you know like Back to the Future. We're like, what's yeah. Marty McFly doing in the past? <laughs> right. It was oh. like that. I mean, it's like it was my face. Wow! 
And it's like, oh my God, I, I got my face from this person mm. who I have really no, can, I don't have any stories about him. Right. I, I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about him. But there he is in 1860, and there I am. Mm-hmm. And boy, I thought I looked like my mom. <laughs> but oh my God, you know? And, and so, yeah, it's like there's this whole other half of me that's been dormant that I'm, you know, I don't think it's still a full half of me, but yeah, I don't think I'll ever, re- there's parts of me that won't wake up until I make that connection. And I know that, and I don't know why that is, but it is so true. Yeah, <laughs> It is so true. Connecting with your ancestors and just knowing their stories completely changes how you see yourself. It just does. It just really, really does. You feel so connected to something tangibly bigger than you yeah something that you don't have to imagine that you can feel yeah and then you realize like your place is just one person in that line mm-hmm. and, and all of your descendants are yes in you really see how you're a piece of something much bigger you know um so it's i'm excited i'm excited to do that um i haven't been able to do it with my full heart because i'm working so much but when I have some time, I plan to do some digging. Yeah. Well, and I am. Well, sure. we can do some. We can do some cool witchy digging in here. Honestly, shamanic journeying digging. would be a really powerful tool for you to be able to Great. journey to visit the spirits of these people, or just to journey to get more information. Absolutely, let's do it. Yeah. So, well, down, honey. Witchy. I'm ready. Um, I'm sure when you do, it will inform many more amazing pieces of art. You are. <laughs> A brilliant artist. Thanks, Bill. You're my favorite filmmaker. Thank you so much. <laughs> Me too. But we could talk for 27 hours. And we probably will after we finish this podcast. <laughs> but, but we should probably wrap it up. Bring this in for a landing. And really just say, before you go into that, just say thank you so much. Oh, for thanks for having me. This is such a treat. We I'm love you so much. I love you too. Yeah. And I, I think truly I can do. speak for both of us when I say like, we're so like honored and privileged to have you in our lives and to like witness you and to learn from you. And Aww. thank you. Likewise. I feel like, I feel like being with you guys is like being in a warm embrace. And this room has so many special memories, not just for me personally, but just for us. And yeah. I'm excited. I, I just, I love you guys so much too. Yeah. Man. I love you. You have been such a major part of my spiritual journey. Same. So to have us now in the spiritual gaze. I know it's crazy. <laughs> it's surreal. Um, with my husband who I feel you helped me f- figure out how I could get like, it's a whole thing. We could go on a whole oh, honey. other conversation. There's like a part that. two through, there's like <laughs> yeah. a side series. There is a side of series. Of just the three about... of us talking about the weird shit that's happened since that's we've happened known each other. That's happened in our lives, yeah, <laughs> and the crazy connections, but um, you're so amazing, but I know you want to... Yeah, so I'm going to... We end every episode by uh, pulling a card, mm-hmm. but you're going to pull it, So I'm, I'm just going to shuffle these up card. real good. I love pulling cards. And so Justin's going to pull a card that will resonate no matter when you are listening to this. So if you're in a future place in time, just know this is the message meant for you. What's it gonna be? <laughs> Picking a card for you and me. Justin as well as my mic. Do I reveal it? Yeah, tell the oh my god. What is it? I got the nine of chalices, honey. Oh who is she? Snap. Wait a second. Who yeah, is she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. who <laughs> Who is she? Hold everything. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have a spiritual gaze first. Uh, yeah. Justin and Lena pulled the exact. Oh my God! <laughs> shut the fuck up! Card. Oh my God! That's you so. You both pulled the nine of chalices. Everything we were just talking. Okay, about. that makes a lot of sense. Whatever it's about. <laughs> it's really about everything that you have been talking about, which is. Wow, that's crazy. I'm done. I'm leaving. <laughs> so nines in the tarot, in my and the way I work with them, they're completions. They're personal completions and wow, cups. Wow. Chalices is all about emotions, creativity, things that flow in your life. So also intuition as well. Yeah. And the nine is about coming to a place of completion where you're doing it for you, and there's this sense of like real satisfaction, but it's not for anybody else. So like what you were talking about, like the joy that you get from story and that nothing else can fill it, mm. like that's nine of cups. That's mm. nine of, or as it said in this deck, chalices. Mm -hmm. So everyone has that, you know, whatever it is for you that really fills you up mm. and that makes you feel like you're in connection with that deeper part of yourself. Um, this card itself, like we're looking at a guy and he's sitting on a bench and we see him from behind and he's looking at these nine cups that are kind of making this arc. And I would say those cups are just in his mind. Like somebody walking by would just see a person sitting on a bench, but he's <laughs> in this deep connection, this, this almost communion with his heart and his spirit. And it's just for him. You know, yeah, yeah. the 10 of cups is a completion with the community. It's like when I'm pouring in your cup and you're pouring in my cup and we're all drinking a bunch of wine together. But the nine is when it's like, it's you, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, if I were an old school tarot reader, I would say, oh, the Nine of Cups is the wish card. Mm -hmm. And like, if you go see like one of those tarot readers with like a light up hand out in front, yes, if I'm you pull the Nine do. of Cups, they're going to say, make a wish, honey, it's going to come true. Ooh. Well, when we talked with Lena, I remember we, we brought that up and offered a wish to everyone who was listening. Yeah. So you guys just, you get another wish. 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 Um, once again, Justin, thank you so much for being here. Thank Justin, you for the interstitial music. Oh, yeah. honey, you're Justin welcome. has an amazing podcast that you already probably listened to called Don't At Me. Yeah. You need to listen to it. It's Get brilliant. in on it. Which um, we had Angel on, but we have to have the two of you on, too. Oh, yeah, honey. Or the three of you looking at you, Noach. Oh, yeah, Noach. No, you're going to let that live. I'm not going to let that. I'm not going to live that down. Guys, I've lost my words. It's all good. I'm um, in the spirit realm. But yeah, if the children want to find you and have oh, yeah. yet. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm at jsim07 on Insta and Twitter, even though you won't see me tweet all that much. No, but the Insta is there. But Insta, yeah, Insta's going strong. Um, and then, uh, uh, I mean, just to Google my name. I have a website, you know, hang out. It's yeah. cool. It's cute. Yeah. And the podcast is called Don't At Me, KCRW, which you can also find on both of those things. Or my website, justinsimian.com. Gorgeous. Yeah, and Justin does a lot of building community as well through his cult, his uh, culture machine, culture yeah. machine companies. So. Yeah, if you follow me on Facebook, we have a group, um, and it's a honestly, it's a few hundred really passionate up and coming writer directors, and we share information, and um, sometimes like you know I'm able to bring them to special events and stuff like that, and it's been really cool. Oh, it's awesome. Amazing. And of course, season three of Dear White People will be coming soon, mm -hmm. and most importantly. Bad, bad hair. Yes, honey, y'all are not so, ready. Oh, we are not ready for this, this movie. So I'm ready. I don't think you are, bitch. <laughs> I'm not ready, but I'm ready. <laughs> like, I'm ready to be not ready. <laughs> um, all right, so we also want to thank, of course, our neighbor Carl. Our neighbor Carl, you're the best. Thanks, Carl. Work, and we 
can thank JCM07 in person as just as Brandon just did. But we also want to thank all you, our gazers, yes, for tuning gazers. in and giving us your questions and being a part of this. Gaze. Yes. Gaze. Yeah, you can um, uh, email us at thespiritualgazegayz at gmail.com if you have questions or things you want us to be talking about. You can find us on Instagram at thespiritualgaze or Twitter at just spiritualgaze. And um, yeah. Until we meet again, this has been your moment in The Spiritual Gaze. <laughs> I'm gorgeous. <laughs> Angel's cute. <laughs> <laughs>